Welcome to the Commercial Matters Podcast. Your show host is Amit Kapoor, owner of Mindful Contract Solutions. Nothing in this podcast is intended to be legal advice. Hi folks, this is Amit Kapoor. I'm a commercial consultant to complex transformation programs. And welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Matters Podcast. If you happen to be one of our regular subscribers, I will apologize for not having an episode last week, primarily down to the Easter school holidays, meaning that I didn't have a quieter setting. But I'm so glad to be back. This week's episode is a bit of an in-betweener. Initially, I thought I'd make a series out of client-side teams. But on reflection over the last couple of weeks, I think you might be better served by just one episode on client-side teams for now before we kind of switch over to another theme more oriented towards commercial matters. But having said that, a client-side team does influence the level of commercial activity you need on an IT transformation programs, as you will discover through the episode, where you have a strong client-side team, effectively you can hold the supplier to a lot more account and therefore you need less commercial rigor and discipline because things are happening and the supplier is being kept honest throughout the program. I mean, the point being that what we're talking about today is not completely unrelated to commercial matters. So in terms of this structure for this podcast episode, we'll be first talking about what do I mean by client-side teams. Then I will talk about what makes them so important to any complex transformation program then we'll look at how to actually go about building one. And finally, we'll look at some commercial models for engaging client-side teams, specifically focused on should you be fixed pricing your client-side team or should you be going TNM? TNM meaning time and materials. Right, so let's make a start with question one. What is a client-side team? So the easiest way to think about a client-side team is to imagine a complex transformation program. Let's say a program that is being set up to implement a cloud ERP system. Right? Uh, I'm very familiar with Oracle Cloud, so I'm going to take that as an example. So in such a program, you typically would have Oracle who would be engaged in the capacity of the software product provider. So they are the one who provides subscription to their software as a service and platform as a service offerings. You also appoint a systems integrator. This will be someone of the likes of Accenture, Fujitsu, IBM, one of those kind of suppliers who basically are responsible for configuring the software product towards the needs of the end client organization. What you would typically find is if you just clubbed the Accenture, IBM, Capgemini, Fujitsu, one of those SIs, whoever you appoint, and Oracle Cloud together, you still do not complete all the activities you need for the completion of the program because these vendors will take certain actions on them and complete them but for the success of the program and for you as the client to derive business benefits from the program, you need to take further action, which is more aligned with realizing and implementing business change across your business. So it's those kind of activities that essentially sit with the client side team. So in the scenario I just mentioned, I think I spoke about a minimalistic client side team where everything else is being done by the SI and you're happy to trust the SI to complete the program. But there are also 
varying models where there is a much stronger and broader client side team that's built up which includes people like functional consultants technical consultants technical and solution architects a very very strong training capability essentially where you are making sure that the supplier isn't marking their own homework and everything that they deliver to you is checked by some people who are working on your side in the program before it's treated as the final deliverable that you'll be going live with so the number of people in a client side team can vary significantly i mean i've seen programs that were probably worth 50 million pounds in costs having 50 strong client side teams but i've also seen programs of that uh, value having a much leaner client side team which will, with a lot more delegation to sis and software product providers involved in the program so i hope that gives you a sense of what a client side team in reality is now we're going to be talking about what is it that makes client side teams very important the first reason why client side teams are important is you really got to understand the kind of suppliers you are engaging when you launch into significant complex programs for example if you think about companies like accenture ibm or even oracle for that matter these companies are tech giants and just like every business they have objectives of their own that from time to time may or may not align with your objectives as a, as an end client so if you think about it your objectives from a complex transformation program might be about you know achieving business benefits out of it which are several fold the cost of implementation but if you think about these tech giants who come in their objective might be to do as much or as little as possible that allows them to get paid for the scope that they signed up to what that can often mean in reality is when things get really heated in that compromises have to be made either on the quality of the end product in order to meet time scales and budget or in any other respect where a profit oriented supplier might want to look at things differently from the end client that is very likely to happen in reality where you might as a customer feel that you've been left shortchanged so obviously you can counter a lot of that kind of supplier behavior with good commercial management but commercial management is not a panacea very often it could be that the supplier is right to grieve about certain situations and is right to demand that things be dealt with in a manner that helps them but does not help you as a client so much because that's what fairness warrants what a client side team does is it keeps your side of the bargain fulfilled at all times which means if you're a client who has signed up to do x things in order for the supplier to then do y things a client side team then ensures that x things are done by the promised date so that the supplier can get on with their ensuing actions so in effect with a strong client side team you are able to keep suppliers honest and that's reason number 1 reason number 2 and this might not be completely unrelated to the first reason but because these large sis typically are you know very profit oriented any proposal that they make for you will always be caveated with list of 
what they call as assumptions and dependencies. So these are effectively things that they sign up not to do and would expect you as a client to do. So someone's got to do that with a lot of rigor and keeping to the program timescales. And that is the kind of thing that sits within the scope of your client side team. And the final point, which again could be very related to the first two, is that very often any complex transformation program will require a very high level of stakeholder alignment in your organization, as well as a very high level of business change. Now, even if you get a systems integrator with the best of will, who decides to keep their assumptions and dependencies section of the contract very lean in that they take up a lot of the responsibilities, it is highly unlikely that they will be taking up you know, your willingness or ability to take up the new system or adopt the new system. There will always be some level of aptitude and willingness that will be required of you as a client to make the program a success. And that is again something that sits within the scope of activities that a client side team would do because they act as the eyes and ears of the business. They consult with the business end users at every stage of the program, make sure that their voices are heard and reflected in the development of the system, and then also make sure that you know the end users are again involved in the testing of the solution. So without a client side team, you can't really fulfill those activities which are inevitably required in any complex transformation program. And now we're going to be talking about how do you actually build a client side team? I mean, the most usual way that clients go about building a client side team is the program sponsor usually appoints a program director and a program manager. So you have an inception team that then circles around your own organization to kind of check for redeployment pools or to check for people who get along well with the initiating team. And then that team gradually starts building up with in-house resources. What then is discovered through the process is that a number of roles can't actually be filled internally. So then an attempt is made to go out to the external market, usually contractors, and you would go out through your organization's own contingent labor hiring process and induct people of certain skills. So more often than not, a decision to go externally for hiring a resource is made after a failed attempt to hire that role internally, which means quite often you're getting people in roles much later than you would like because you're having to kind of experience a failure and then kind of go out to the market and get someone for the role. So that's approach number one, and it's very commonly employed by a lot of programs and program directors. The alternative, and this is something which we at Mindful recommend, is to look at a managed service provider very early on in the program, almost as early as you set up an initiating team for the program who is responsible for sourcing any external hires that you need through the course of the program. And the reason I would say that we recommend it is because programs are really mini organizations. And when you are in a program, you are basically signing up to very fast paced obligations that your program needs doing 
in order for the systems integrator and the tech partners and the software product partners to be doing their share of the bargain in order to make your program a success. So in reality, you don't really have the option of having two rounds of hiring, one where you try and find skills internally and once that's failed is when you go externally. That inevitably means that you will delay the program. And the other problem with using your internal contingent labor processes is those processes are really designed for business as usual work in your organization. So everything for everything else that happens in your organization, that kind of pace works where, you know, CVs might be received in 10 days, interviews organized in 20 days and selections made in 30 days. But when you're in a program, each day lost is uh, 5x or 10x of business benefits delayed. So you really can't afford that kind of lax and coupled with delays, it's commercially very unattractive to be relying on internal processes that might delay your program. So you really want a fast paced talent highway where effectively you can get people you need as in when you want them with little lead time. And that is exactly what a managed service provider option will offer you. And one of the advantages of MSPs that can be quite easily overlooked is the fact that when you have a resource partner work with you very closely, then it allows you to test out scenarios of resource planning for any search requirements. To give you an example, Mindful was engaged as an MSP on a major Oracle Cloud implementation program where the program had a lessons learned exercise at the end of phase one go live, which was that the user training needed a lot more emphasis and focus. So the new approach was to induct a battery of trainers into the program who would then go out to different business units and work with those businesses for the duration of phase two so that when the phase two go live happened, the businesses were better prepared than they were in phase one. Now, they were presenting these options to their board and we were asked to give an opinion on the viability of those plans in our capacity as an MSP because we had kind of a knowledge of whether the market has an appetite to cater to a requirement of you know 30 or trainers. So we used some soft testing techniques and we kind of realized what the appetite might be. And we, for example, suggested that you might want to break down that requirement in two tranches so you don't hit the market in one go, you do it in two waves instead of one. And that kind of planning may not have been possible if there wasn't an MSP on the program, because if you're dealing with your internal contingent labor provider, they're really, you know, taking requirement by requirement and dealing with each requirement on its merit. They aren't really learning or building upon what they've learned upon hiring someone from you. Whereas an MSP is continually learning about what you care about generally and building that into what kind of candidates are you likely to prefer for varying roles? So for many reasons, using an MSP does make a lot more operational sense 
than trying to rely on your organization's internal processes for contingent labor hiring. So I think we've talked enough about how to build a client side team. Now let's look at what are the different commercial models by which you can engage a client side team. And this might be specifically relevant where you go with the MSP option of building your client side team, because if you were going through your internal contingent labor model, then you are very likely to be entering into specific contractor contracts with individual workers and they would be paid on a daily basis. But when you have an MSP appointed, you have the option of doing a fixed price contract, for example, or a contract that is statement of work oriented where the supplier is paid on milestones. We're going to be talking about whether that kind of a model actually makes commercial sense. Now, the one thing I've learned being a procurement and commercial manager for I think over 12 years now is most people in my fraternity, my peer group, they would prefer to be making fixed price contracts with their suppliers because that's kind of considered like the gold standard of contracting because when you agree a fixed price, it basically means you have some certainty of scope, some predictability of cost, and it feels like you've done a good job and you haven't you know, just opened a checkbook for the supplier. But in my experience, client-side teams are best managed on a time and materials basis, wherein you don't have specific fixed milestones against activities. Or even if you do, then you have enough flex built into that kind of model with some level of acceptance that there might be a need to increase the budget of that fixed price. And I'll explain the reason for that. One of the problems with fixed price is once you sign up to a fixed price, you do get an illusion of price certainty. But from a supplier's perspective, they are always monitoring the scope that they signed up to and the price. So for them, keeping that integrity between scope and price is extremely important. It's not that commercially sensible for them to be agreeing to extend scope without an increase in price because what if they then had to incur a delay because they experienced unknowns and at that time you wouldn't be kind enough to give them the benefit of further commercial cover. So much of the friction that happens between suppliers and buyers on any program is after a delay is incurred where a supplier wants to be recompensed for the time that they lost or the profits that they lost or the losses they made versus the buyer who basically tries to assert the contract and say that you know the price was agreed so we are not varying it. Now you can do that with some suppliers in a program but you can't do it with all because you do need some kind of a team that acts as a catch-all. For example, if you had a systems integrator who was refusing to do a certain number of reports because they believed they weren't in scope, but you believed they are in scope. What do you do then when things aren't moving? Aside from the fact that you could litigate against a supplier, invoke the dispute resolution process, operationally, you have very limited options. However, if you have a client side team that could pick up the act of building those reports, then you have a viable alternative on the ground to the, that supplier 
acting in that kind of intransigent manner. Now, to be able to commission that kind of work to your client side team, you do need the client side team to be working on a more flexible contract than a fixed price contract. So you do need to have some people in your program working on a time and materials basis so that you can flex any scope overruns, cost overruns, or any scope disputes with the other side, the other side being other suppliers. So that's all I wanted to talk about in respect of client side teams. I hope this has been useful. If you like what you've heard, I would also encourage you to have a look at our program staffing playbook. I will include the link to that in our show notes. We talk about the client side teams and how to build one in some more detail with a lot of evidence and also strategies to how to get the rest of your organization, especially procurement and commercial, to buy in into your concept of having an MSP for a program. Strongly encourage you to read that. Right, so that's it for this week, folks. Next week, we'll be starting with another series. This series will focus on how you manage supply relationship across an IT program's life cycle. So we look at different kind of issues that arise in the midst of a program and what are various ways in which you can tackle those issues from both a commercial standpoint as well as from a strategic stroke operational standpoint. That's it then. I look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, goodbye. That's this week's episode of the Commercial Matters Podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.